with you. Uh, boy, we had first service, it was all overcast and crazy out there and, and rainy and so on. Now it's all beautiful. Isn't that great? So uh, this is looking good for my motorcycle ride this afternoon. It was looking a little, little tentative this morning, but I'm pretty excited about that. Now, hey, uh, my name is Pastor Mike. I want to welcome you here to uh, Rocky Peak, especially if this is your very first time. And uh, inside of your, your weekend program is a white message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. And so I want to encourage you to take that out as uh, we, we uh, pray, as we get ready to pray. Today, obviously, the topic is worship. And uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump on in. Father, we, uh, we thank you for what you're doing here at a church, the way you're waking us up, calling us on, calling us to new life, new levels of experience with you. And we're, we're excited to be here and take the next step in this journey today. And so we pray you'd come and be with us. You'd be with us in a powerful way. You'd speak, you'd lead, you'd guide, you'd open our eyes to new things. And you'd call us into this life of worship in new ways. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was a special day, and in some ways... Um, it was the day he'd been waiting for his whole life. Uh, from the time he was a little boy, God had been with him, and he'd sensed it. And he can still remember the day that the prophet came and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. It, it took him all by surprise because, after all, he was the youngest of eight boys, and no one would have thought it would be him. And, and so it took him by surprise, and it, sure enough, God was with him through all the years. And it was, a, it was a long road. It was a windy road. It was a dangerous road. But sure enough, when he turned 30, God elevated to the place of leadership. In fact, over all those dark years, God had protected him step by step over the way. So many times his life was just one step away from death. As King Saul, his predecessor, was trying to kill him or some other enemy was trying to take him out. And yet God had been with him every step of the way, protected him every step of the way. And so now he's 30 years old. He becomes king. We're moving down the, the road a little bit. He's been king a few years now. God has given him victory over his other, uh, the, the, the surrounding nations so he moves in, he chooses a new capital city. It's a capital city of Jebus, which he renames to be called Jerusalem. And now has come the day that he's been waiting for his whole life, but it's time to move the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the capital city. You know, the Ark of the Covenant's that box that God had Moses made, covered with gold, special box, place of God's presence, you know, Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, fame. And... Uh, it was a place where God would meet with the people in a special way. They'd take the ark out into battle. It kind of was the presence of God went with the ark. And so, so, so he wanted to bring it into the capital city. They had a special tent made for it where they could worship God there and experience God's presence there. And so this was a big deal. And so he, he'd sent news out to the whole nation, inviting the whole nation. And the day finally comes, and there are hundreds and thousands of priests there. And the priests are carrying this box on the, and the special poles designed just for this purpose. So you don't touch the box because last time someone touched the box, they died. And so they figured out a better way of taking care of the box. And so this time, they're carrying the box in. And they've got, they've got hundreds and perhaps thousands of worship leaders and singers and, and the full band, you know, the stringed instruments, the percussion, and the whole deal. 30,000 of Israel's finest warriors were assembled to be in the parade, marching this thing, and this was big time. And it's about 10 miles away. The ark is about 10 miles away from Jerusalem. It's at the house of this man named Odom Edom. His name was Odom, and he is from Edom, thus the name. And so they're moving it from Odom Edom's house, and it's 10 miles, which is almost like Simi Town Center all the way. You can picture this, this huge procession. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone's excited. God's coming to town. God's coming to the city. The presence of God is coming, and the people are going off. And, and as they get to the, they finally get to the entrance of the city, the gate of the city, 
David, who's been leading this procession, uh, it all begins to flood back on him. Uh, all God's done for him over his life, from the time he was a little boy to present. The guy, God's been with him, he's protected him, he's saved him, he's been his rock, he's been his fortress, he's been his deliverer, he's been his salvation, he's been his mighty strength, he's enabled him to leap upon mountains and, and lead him. And, and it all comes back to David in that point in time, and David, as they're in the city, he's just overcome, and he just goes off. Today we're continuing this series that we've been in the last, what, five or six weeks. It's called The Movement in Rocky Peak. It's a series about our, our vision, our values, and strategies that we believe God's given us to lead us into our future. And if you've been here during this series, you kind of know that. But if you're brand new today, I want to kind of reach back and bring you up to speed. And for the rest of us, kind of do a quick review. So if you look there on your note sheet, we talked about this kind of this new vision that God has given us to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. We're doing four things. That number one, we're pursuing God. He's our, our top love, our, our, our greatest priority is to please him, know him, follow him, love him, right? Uh, number two, we're going to be loving uh, people in sacrificial ways, the way God has loved us. We're going to be serving one another sacrificially, using our, our time, our gifts, our resources to extend his movement. And then we're going to be sharing Christ. Because as we've talked about, as part of his movement, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus... You become a part of his movement. We all share this responsibility to take the message and the movement of Jesus and take it out to those who've never heard. And, and then the following four weeks, we talked about these four core values that we have, four, the first four of the seven. If you turn your page, they're there on your note sheet. So we talked that first week about the word, embracing the truth, that we want to be a church that's knee-deep in the word, that embraces the word just as Jesus did as our guide to life. Uh, secondly, authenticity, living honestly. We believe God's called us into a relationship with himself. It's real, it's honest, it's genuine, it's not fake, it's not pretend, it's not about image. He's called us to, the, uh, to, into relationships like that with one another. And remember we said that the first step towards really following Jesus is learning to be radically honest with ourselves and about what we're thinking, we're feeling, our motives, because it's there God can meet us and we can grow and we can begin to develop. And then our third value, third core value, was relevance, reaching the culture. The most important message in all the world is the message of Jesus, but in every culture it's got to be translated into a way that speaks to that culture with power. In a way that's fresh, it's new, it's compelling, that it overcomes stereotypes and obstacles that keep people from coming to Jesus. And the last time I was with you, we talked about number four, transformation, becoming like Christ. That the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. We talked about becoming like him in his character, in his attitudes, his actions, his responses, his reactions, his priorities, his values, his choices. And remember, we learned that if we really want to be transformed, the most important step is obedience. That if we obey what we know, God will show us more. If we disobey what we know, the lights go out, we lose even what we have. Well, today we come to the fifth core value, which is worship responding to God. And in a nutshell, we believe that God has called us into a relationship with himself that's real, it's alive, it's based on our firsthand experience. And that as we experience God as he really is, that the natural response is as we live a life of worship. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about that some more, but um, once again, this value flows from Jesus himself, like as all the core values do. Uh, Jesus had a fascinating conversation one time with a woman in a, in a town named Sychar. And uh, they were talking about worship, and, and this is what he said. It's there in your note sheet. He said to her, a time is coming, 
and has now come. In other words, with the coming of Jesus, that he's, we're entering to a whole new phase in human history, this opening up a new level of relationship with God. So he says the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, you might want to underline that, true worshipers. That's our topic today. What does it mean to be a true worshiper? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Jesus says we're moving into a whole new era of human history where we're going to be able to experience God in a firsthand way through his Holy Spirit. We're going to actually come to know God. And and then we're going to know him as he is. We're going to know him in truth. The end result of this, then, is a life of worship. And so he goes on, and he says something very important. He says, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father, what? What does he say? Seeks. Seeks. Now catch that. God is on the lookout. God is looking for people who want to know him in a firsthand way, experience him as he is, and live a life of worship. God's seeking for people like that. And he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, so we believe God's calling us to this as a church, that, that he wants to unleash here a movement of passionate Christ followers who are true worshipers who are knowing God in spirit and truth and responding with a life of worship. So today, that's our topic. We want to talk about what does it look like to be a true worshiper? Where does true worship flow from? And there in your note sheet, there's a section called the heart of worship, where true worship flows. And so we want to talk, well, well, what has to happen for true worship to flow uh, out of our lives? And there's kind of three statements I want to make just to help us get at this. So let's jump in. Number one. The first statement is that true worship flows from firsthand experience. Now, this may be different than what we often think. I think this is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 4 when he talks to this lady and he says, Hey, a time is coming, it's now here. We're moving into a new era where God is going to be forming a relationship where we can know him in spirit and in truth. We're entering into a new time zone in human history. Um, We're entering into this new time zone where, by God's spirit, we're going to be able to experience him in a firsthand way and know him as he really is, in a way that we never have really been able to know him before. We're moving into a new area. And that, that worship flows from this firsthand experience of knowing God in a new way. Does this make sense? Now, this is very different than I think we often think naturally as human beings. Naturally as human beings, we tend to think in terms of worship as a religious activity. We we tend to think in terms of worship as a duty, as an obligation, as something we owe God. That, That we need to go, for whatever reason, God really likes it when we tell him how cool he is. And so that's sort of our job as human beings to periodically get together and tell him you're amazing. And he just, he just likes that. And we don't really understand it, why he'd want that. But that's, that we, this is our, our religious obligation. So we need to go to church and we need to just tell him on a regular basis you're amazing. For some reason, this is important to him. This is kind of how we tend to look at it. I remember when I was a child growing up that sometimes my sisters and I, we wouldn't want to go to church. And my Dad would quote to us from the Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Which I always felt like, well, that's good for him. Uh, I'm not feeling it, you know. So it's good for him that he's so glad I'm not. Of course, what my dad was saying was that, hey, you know, we're going to church. You should be happy, right? This is a good thing. 
And this is sort of the image that, okay, we're going to church, we're going to sing, and we should be happy about this because worship is something we should do. We should be glad about it. So let's kind of go and put in our time and do our thing. And this is kind of the natural human way we look at worship. We tend to see it as this ritual, what we do. But here's what I want you to catch. In the Bible, that is not the case. In the Bible, worship is a natural response to experiencing God in a firsthand way that blows our minds. That, that's what worship is. That worship is a response to experiencing God, his beauty, his power, his brilliance, how smart he is, how good he is, how you can count on him. That, that when you experience God, in front, that leads to worship. You see? So in the Bible, worship always flows out of a firsthand experience of God. So catch, follow it. It's impossible for us to be a church of true worshipers if we're not experiencing God. You see? Anything less is not really worship. Now, I, I want to show you this. When I think in the Bible, when I think of like true worshipers, the first guy that comes to my mind is King David. Right? David is like the epitome of a true worshiper. I love this guy. Uh, he's a, first of all, he's a man's man. You know, so we can relate to that. He's kind of a man's man. He's the warrior worshiper. I mean, any guy who can kill Goliath and write a psalm on the same day, great guy. You know, this is my kind of guy. So anyway, David, when you study his life, what you find is that his worship always flows out of his firsthand experience of God. You know, this is why he's worshiping. So let me give you an example. I want you to take your Bible. Would you turn with me to Psalm 18? Now, this is a psalm that was written uh, after David had come to the throne. I, I mentioned earlier that David had a rough time getting to the throne. Often his life was in danger. Uh, God had rescued him time and time again from King Saul, who was out to kill him. Even after he becomes the king, God gives him victory over the nations around him and elevates his kingdom. And so, so, God, so David has experienced God's power in his life, and out of that experience, he writes this psalm. Out of his firsthand experience of God, he writes this psalm. In, in fact, if you look at the intro to this psalm, <laughs> it goes like this. For the director of music, remember the psalms are actually songs, so it's for the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song, Catch this, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. You catch that? So this is a retrospect. This is looking back. David's now probably at least mid-30s. He's looking back at all God's done in his life, the way he's saved him, protected him all the way, saved him from his enemy. And so out of that experience of God, he's going to write this psalm. And he starts off in verse 1. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And I want you to catch this. This goes to the heart of worship. Uh, the heart of worship is about this kind of passion for God and what he's done in our life. And so catch this. There is no sense of obligation here, is there? There's no sense of religious duty here. Well, I, I really ought to worship God. So, no, it's just, this is a, a statement of passion. God, I, I love you. You're amazing. Why? Because you're my strength. You know, what, you, I've experienced you in certain ways in my life. And because of that, I, I love you. And, and so then he goes on, and he tells us what he's talking about. Verse 2, he says, the Lord is my rock, he's my fortress, and he's my deliverer. Now catch this. These are all military words. Remember the context. The reason David loves God so much is because God has come through for him time and time again. 
a rock, when he's talking about a rock, he's talking about a rock fortress. Like when you're fighting in battle, you're being chased. If you can find a, a rocky place that you can get up on the highland and defend it, you have a tremendous advantage. Right? It's a, he's talking about a, a defensive location. He's saying, God is my rock. God is the one who defends me from my enemies. He says, God is my fortress. He's my deliverer. You see? Uh, then he goes on, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield the horn of my salvation, all military terms, my stronghold. So I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, catch that, worthy of praise, and I'm saved. So you see this, David's love for God flows out of his firsthand experience of what God has done as, as his rock. His, you know, now here's what I want you to catch. As a church or as an individual, it's impossible to worship God well if we're not experiencing God in our life. Uh, how can we say he's our rock, our fortress, our deliverer if we're not experiencing any of that, you see? So true worship always flows from our first-hand experience of what God is doing in your life. Uh, I think of myself when I'm down here worshiping the Lord. The reason I enter into worship is because the words of the songs we sing are a description of my inner world, Right? And so we're singing about you're my deliverer, you're this, you're that. It's like that's been my life experience. And so I'm able to enter into that worship. Why? Because I've experienced God. Now, if I hadn't, I'm just singing songs. There's a difference between singing songs and worship, isn't there? And the difference is whether you can enter into the meaning of the song based on your life experience or not. Now, if you go to the end of Psalm 18, uh, if you were to follow this psalm through, and you might want to read it later on your own this week, but in verse 4 and following, David begins to talk about a particular time in his life, or maybe it's symbolic of many times, we don't know. It's highly poetic language. But basically he says, man, I was in battle and I was going under for the third time. I was about to drown. And God, because of his great love for me, he swooped down from heaven and rescued me, put me back on my feet and gave me tremendous victory over my foes. That's the story of the psalm. And then if you go to the end of the psalm, let's see how it ends in verse 46. Look what he says, the Lord lives. In other words, hey, the Lord's alive. He's real. He's active, interacting and acting in my life. The Lord's real. He says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me. In other words, you know, protects him in battle. Who subdues nations under me. Who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes from violent men. You rescued me. That's his story. That's the story of his life. Now catch this next word. Underline the next word. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations. You see? David's praise and worship comes out of his firsthand experience of God. And so this is the place we have to start when we're talking about worship. Worship flows out of first-hand experience. So what this means for our life as a church is we want to create a culture here as a church where we're experiencing God. Because if we're not experiencing God, we can't enter into worship. Does this make sense? We can sing songs. We can play music. But we can't worship unless we've been rescued. You see? When he becomes our deliverer, when he come, becomes our guide and our leader and our healer, you see, now we, it leads to worship. But until we experience him in life-changing ways, we can't really worship. We can go through motions but we can't really worship because worship is an attitude of the heart. It's a worship of adoration, love, surrender, and so on. Okay, number two. Now, the second uh, 
the second principle goes like this, that true worship flows from a life of obedience. We talk about true worship. Uh, we have to understand that there is a link between worship and obedience that is inseparable and inviolable. It's essential. There's a link between worship and obedience. In other words, it's impossible to worship God with our lips if we are not obeying him with our lives. Does this make sense? Because why? Because what happens is it becomes a sham. It becomes that we're saying one thing with our words, we're living another thing in our lives, which just kind of emasculates our words. Our words now have, have no meaning to them. And so it's impossible to worship with our lips unless we're worshiping with our life. Because catch this, at the core of, of worship, if you're asking me, Mike, what at the core? Boil worship down. What is it about? At its core, worship is about offering all of me to him. It's about a, it's a, it's about a giving of myself. I live for your pleasure. You are so amazing. You are so beyond me. You so deserve this. All I am, I give to you. That's the heart of worship. And so when we come in and we sing songs that are saying that, and yet we're living lives of blatant disobedience. Now, I'm not talking about sometimes we fail and fall and all that. I, I get that. But you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a double life where we're saying one thing but really living what clearly we're not following. Now, this was a trap the nation of Israel often fell into just because of human nature. It's the way we are, uh, human nature. And, and so what would happen is that they would often go to church and they would do all the religious worship things. So they would sing the songs, they would pray the prayers, they would burn the incense, they would offer the sacrifices, which, by the way, were very expensive. Like if you, if you sacrifice a bull, think what a, a slide of beef costs today, you know. So very expensive. And, and so they would do all the religious stuff, but then during the week they would be out there living their own lives, lying, stealing, cheating, sexual immorality, in some cases murder, oppressing the poor, bribing judges as a nation, you see. And so they were living this life. And then they come to church, and what they really believed was that God was impressed by this. They thought that you could worship God with your lips, but not worship God with your life. And so they would bring this offering, and it's kind of like, and sometimes we have this mentality, don't we? I mean, think of American church world. We have this mentality. So you live like hell during the week, and then you go to confession or whatever, and then it's like, now we're good, you know? Or we you know, say the prayers, we do the beads. That's kind of the Catholic version. We have our Protestant version, same deal, right? But it's this mentality that, well, if I'm, I'm not following God, but at least I'm going to church, and so maybe they're kind of balancing the scales. But here's what we're going to see in Scripture. What the Bible says is actually the opposite. When we're blowing off God during the week and we come to church and we go through the acts of worship, we're not making it better, we're making it worse. That actually what, what this is, this is like a man who's having an affair on his wife. She doesn't know about it, but then he's bringing her roses and saying, I love you. And so you talk to him and you say, hey, you're cheating on your wife. Well, I know, but at least I'm bringing her roses and flowers and telling her I love her. Well, the moment she finds out about that, how do you think she's going to feel about that? Do you think she's going to feel good about it? Feel better about it? Well, he's cheating on me, but at least he's bringing me flowers. Right? No, it's going to make it 
worse, not better, because now not only are you cheating on me, you think you can buy me off with your words and your flowers. You can't buy me off. I want a relationship. I don't want to be bought off. And so this is what Israel would do. They would go, and they basically would bring in God flowers and saying, I love you, and, and, and cheating on him spiritually, you see? And so I want you to see what God says about this. There in your note sheet, I put just an example. This is, the Old Testament's full of these, but this is one of my favorites. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 1, God's speaking, and he says, uh, the multitude of your sacrifices, you know, you're bringing all these sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? When you come to appear before me, who has asked you this, catch this, trampling of my courts? They're like, oh, God must be pleased we're going to church. He's like, no, no, you're trampling my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. There was nothing wrong with the offerings. The problem was they were meaningless. They were not representative of their life. Your incense catches, it's what? Detestable. Uh, you're burning your incense there, and you're, and you're going to church, and you're burning your incense. It's detestable to me. It's nauseating to me. This is irritating. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. You're coming to church. I can't stand it. I, I don't go. You know this happens in churches all over America today, that people are going to church, but God's not showing up? It happens. You know, in the book of Revelation, we're talking about the seven churches to Revelation, the first three chapters. Jesus warns some of them, unless you get to your act together, I'm not coming to your church anymore. I'm going to take your candlestick out of my presence. What he's saying is that, hey, I, I, I'm not going to be a part of this. You're gathering in my name. You're gathering for worship, but, but your lives are not reflecting it. I, I can't stand it anymore. I'm not going. You can do church, but I'm not going. And this is how churches die when God quits going. The church goes on, but, but God's not showing up anymore, you see? And so he goes on and he says, um, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. And when you spread your hands in prayer, this is how they pray. They pray with their hands up. You know, God, this is a common way of praying. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. It's like, I can't stand to look at you. You're praying to me. I can't even stand it. Your hypocrisy is so deep, you see? You're following this, that worship can't just be with our words. It has to be with our lives. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul kind of lays this out for us. And I want you to look at the next passage on this. It's in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. <coughs> New Testament, Romans chapter 12. This is a passage we studied this last year when we were in our series, The Way, our study through Romans. But in verse 1, uh, Paul talks about worship. 12.1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in light of everything God's done for us in Christ, this amazing love, that you would offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So this is what God wants. In the Old Testament, we were to bring sacrifices of bulls, wheat, wine, whatever, uh, rams, sheep. But he says in the New Testament, uh, the ultimate sacrifice has been paid Christ. So he, he asks now that we would bring living, we bring our own lives and we bring our own bodies. God, here I am, all I am, I give myself to you for your purposes that's what God's looking for. He says it should be holy and pleasing to God. In other words, living for his, his pleasure. And he says this is your spiritual act of what? Worship. worship. You see that? This is, this is what worship is. Worship at its core is about giving of myself to God. And so when we come 
when we come to a worship service and we're giving one thing with our lips and another thing with our life, there's just, it, it just doesn't work. True worship doesn't work that way. Um, stop and think about this, even in light of our, our weekend services here. You know, we come together, we start with some worship, we have some worship uh, in verse, song. And, uh, you know, think of the songs that we sing. We, we sing songs like, um, in everything, right? We sing songs like, highest and greatest. You are the highest, you are the greatest, you are the Lord of all. We're making certain declarations, aren't we? Uh, everything, in everything, I live for your glory, Right? Uh, everything, in my breathing, in my eating, in my sleeping, in my waking, in my dream, you know, we're, we're living, so we're, we're making these declarations that God, you're amazing, we want to live totally for you, but, but you see, if our lives are not matching up to that during the week, then what's happening is we're doing the same thing that Israel fell, fell in this rap to, right? We're bringing our offerings of our mouth, but not with our lives. In fact, I was thinking this week, I was thinking of a, the song we often sing here, it's one of my favorite songs. It's a prayer. It's called Full Attention. And I thought it might be just fun. Just, let's just go through one, one worship song together. Let's just kind of, let's kind of see how this is, okay? So we're going to go. Let's go to the screens here. Full Attention. And so this is a prayer to God. And so, uh, in fact, we'll, we'll sing this later on today. But uh, it says, may your voice be louder and may your voice be clearer than all the others and all the others. And so, so what he's saying is that, God, in this world, I, I'm surrounded with people that got an opinion about my life. I'm surrounded with people that think I need this or this or that. But what I, I want, God, is I want to be living my life for the audience of what? I want your voice to be louder than any others. I want it to be clear. Would you speak to me so I know how to please you? Let's go on. <coughs> may your face be dearer. May your words be sweeter than all the others, than all the others in my life. Let's move on. Please keep my eyes fixed on you. God, I'm so easily distracted in life. I've got all these things competing for my, for my life, and so keep my eyes fixed on you and root my heart so deep in you. Keep me abiding. Now, this is from John 15. If, I, if, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you, you will bear much fruit, Jesus said. So he says, keep me abiding, keep me abiding, keep me abiding that I might bear fruit in my life. Okay, next one. And may your presence be truer. Uh, we're praying for God's God, but your presence be so active in my life. I'm aware of your presence, whatever I'm doing in my life, and may that be the overwhelming reality of my life. That I live in your presence. I live uh, in order to please you. May your presence be nearer than all the others, than all the others. And may your light shine brighter, and may your love move deeper than all the others, my God, than all the others in my life. That might be it. Please keep my eyes fixed on you. Root my heart so deep in you. Now, now he's getting serious. Keep me, uh, keep me asking. Keep me kneeling. Now, are, you, are you with me in this? It's like the, the worshiper is now saying, God, I want your voice to be louder. I want your presence to be near. God, would you keep me asking for you? Keep me seeking. I can't seek you on my own. I get distracted. Keep me asking. God, keep me kneeling. And so now he's, he's like he's kind of begging God, keep me on my knees before you so my priorities are clear, so I remember what's important. God, would you do this for me? Give me the heart of, of a worshiper, that sort of thing. Keep me abiding that, oh, that I might bear fruit. I think that might be the end of the song. And so, so the point is, so we come in and we sing these kinds of songs, don't we? And we sing these songs. And so, God, you're my everything or you're highest or greatest. And so we're singing this song. And now how is God experiencing that? 
Well, if our lives during the week have been lives of surrender, not perfection, but lives of surrender, we want to follow you, we want to please you, what happens when we come into this place is our, these songs give, they, give, they speak the, the truth of our hearts. And now these songs becomes a way we offer ourselves back to God through the words of these songs. And it's a place where heaven meets earth. It becomes a place of connection where God meets us. And when a whole church begins to catch the vision for this, and a whole church begins to surrender to follow Jesus and to live for his glory, as we come together, guess what? God shows up. Some of you were here the night of the 25th hour. A lot of you were here, but the place was packed. But it was like the night of the 25th hour, we started this series. We had 24 hours of prayer, then a 25th hour of kind of a prayer and, and worship God. And there was such a sense of God's presence that night. It's such a sense of expectation. You walked in the room. I felt that when you walked in, it was only half full. I, just, I walked in 15 minutes early, and it was just like you could just sense something has happened. Something is going to happen here tonight. Why? Because God had showed up. He'd come early to get a good seat. It's like he wanted to meet with us that night. And, and so when you came in, you just sense it. It was the most powerful worship experience that we've ever had as a church together, at least in the time that I've been here. And it was just a, it was an amazing time. Why? Because God came. And you know that song that we sing, you'll come. You'll, you'll come. God, you'll come. Let your glory fall. You'll come. And, and, and then we, we say, we, the, the line says, chains be broken. Lives be healed. Eyes be open. Christ is revealed. That's what happens when the church of Jesus comes together to be true worshipers in spirit and in truth, and they're living lives of obedience. God comes, God shows up, and God meets his people and does what only God can do, you see. And that's what worship is about. So <clears throat> worship flows out of life of obedience. It's the only way it can flow. Number three. <coughs> Number three, true worship flows with freedom of expression. So we've said that true worship, it flows out of a first-hand experience with God. That's where I have to start. Secondly, that it flows out of lives of, of obedience that are surrendered. It has to be that way. Finally, though, true worship flows with freedom of expression. In other words, that if we are going to become a church of true worship, if we're going to be true worshipers, there's a couple things about us that have to become true. And number one is that we have to get past a certain level of self-consciousness, don't we? That this is one of the biggest enemies of worship is self-consciousness. Because you stop and think about it, worship is all about God-consciousness. And one of the biggest enemies of God-consciousness is self-consciousness. So like if I'm worshiping, if, I, if I'm worried about how I look or how I sound or whatever, instantly my mind is not as on God anymore, it's on me, isn't it? And so we, ha we have to get past that if we want to grow in worship. And secondly, we have to be in a place, in an environment where it's okay for us to worship. Like there are some places, some churches where if, if anyone did anything other than, than stand or sit, I mean, there would be, you know, the, the, the religious police would come out, right? It's like, it's like, this is not okay. We don't do that here. And there's, there's no uh, freedom of expression. And so what I'm saying is that, uh, according to the Bible, that there needs to be a certain level of freedom of expression if we're going to move in the realm of true worship. Now, great example, it's a story we started the day with, with King David. Uh, amazing story. You know, 30,000 warriors bringing the ark in, 
They're coming into the city. Everyone's, you know, kind of just worshiping with all their might. Um, David's at the front of this parade, and he, he's overcome. God's his rock, his, his fortress, his deliverer. He's looking back over his life. I think it all comes together at that moment. You know, it's just one of those moments. Have you ever been there in your life where you just meant God? You look back and you see God all over your life. And you just look back, and amen, he's his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. I love you, my strength. And it just all comes together for all those scenes from the time he was a little boy fighting the bear, fight, fighting the, the, the lion, Goliath, all the, the days when he just was saved from from King Saul, all the victories. It's all coming together. And now here it is. He's the king. He's coming into the new capital city. They're welcoming God in this city. I mean, it's just, this is an amazing moment. And he's overcome. And so we're told he just goes off. And, and what he does is he's wearing this robe like the priest would wear, and he takes off his robe. Now, now honestly, I, always, I would love to know more about this, like, like what he had underneath. I've always wanted to know this. Just because it helps you picture the scene and like maybe it explains why his wife gets so upset. I don't know. But he takes off his, his outer robe and, and he just starts going for it. He's leaping. He's dancing. I mean, he's just, it's just a, this is a worship moment. Now, let me say this. I, I don't think this was normal for David. In other words, uh, sometimes people will point to this story and they'll say, well, this is how we should worship every week because this is how David worshiped. And and I'm just glad it's not true, you know, because I want you all to keep your clothes on and let's just kind of let's do this the right way. But uh, this was a high point in his life. It was a special moment. But uh, I think that what, what the story uh, shows um, is, is it does show uh, this freedom he felt before the Lord. And so the people, of course, are excited about their king. I mean, he's their hero, the warrior king, guy who killed Goliath, and he's just worshiping the Lord, and they're excited about this. But not everyone was excited. Uh, the one person who wasn't excited was his wife. Now, her name was Michael. I've always resented that. But, uh, and, and she was the daughter of King Saul. So she'd grown up in the palace. She knew palace protocol. She knew how kings were supposed to act, and this isn't it. This is very undignified. You're not acting like a king. And so she's not in the procession. She's up in this house watching this take place. And so David's going out. He's having a great day. He's so excited. He's like blessing everything that moves. And so he comes home that night. He's high-fiving everyone. He's like, this is the greatest day. He comes in. He's ready to bless his family, bless the cat, bless the dog, just bless everything, you know. He's just so excited. He's coming in to bless, and, and she meets him at the door, and she lets him have it. Uh, it was not a pleasant moment. And I want you to see this. Uh, let's go in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This passage is not really a passage on marriage counseling, by the way. It's on worship. You'll see what I mean. Verse 20, uh, 620, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, right after 1 Samuel. Uh, Verse 20, I'm just killing time here. Some of you need to buy those Bible tabs. <laughs> Give me five more minutes in my sermon. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household. So he's on cloud nine. This has been the greatest day of his life, and he's just kind of blessed. I'm going to bless you all. And uh, Michael, daughter of Saul, comes out to meet him, and she says with her lips dripping with sarcasm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight 
of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Welcome home, dear. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so what's for dinner? Um, and so David says to Michael, and I want you to underline this, it was before the Lord. Now, that's a very key phrase. We're going to come back. It was before the Lord. And, and now he gets in his own dig. And this is why I say it's not about marriage counseling. But he gets in his own dig. He says, uh, it's before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, by that, in that matter, uh, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Catch that. Uh, two times he says before the Lord. He says, and I, I, will, I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by those slave girls you're worried about, uh, I'll be held in honor. I'll be, make sure they'll honor me. And then verse 23, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Apparently a judgment from God on her response to David's worship. Um, now, a couple of things I want you to notice in the story. Number one, I want to point out the freedom, David's freedom. This sense of, uh, he doesn't care. He doesn't care whether Michael's happy or the people. He's just worshiping before the Lord. He's kind of letting what's inside come out. So catch the freedom. But also catch this phrase, it's before the Lord. This goes to the heart of worship. Worship is about being before the Lord, not before other people. There's a couple mistakes that we can make when it comes to worship. One mistake is to worship to impress people. And this happens in churches sometimes, right? It's especially very expressive churches. Like the more you're into it, the more you must be into God and more spiritual you are. And so there can be a temptation to sometimes to, to kind of really be more physical than we really feel like being because we, we're trying to impress others. That's one mistake. We don't want to make the mistake. But the opposite mistake is probably the bigger mistake that we're in danger of here. The bigger mistake is to not worship the Lord because we're afraid of what other people will think. That if we do this, they'll, they'll think poorly of us. And so David said, hey, worship is about being before the Lord. It's about me and God. It's not worried about the Michaels in our life. It's not worried about the people. It's, it's about me and God. And so, uh, so for us as a church, we want to create a place where we're saying, hey, let's, let's learn to be before the Lord in worship. Now, as I mentioned, uh, David's uh, worship this week, th this particular day, I don't think was typical for him. I don't think it was, he normally took off his robe and, and danced and leaped. But, but this day was that day because it's what was going on inside of him. He's being true to what God was doing. But what we do see in the Bible is that God often, uh, it describes worship as a full body exercise. Uh, that, that worship is not just stand there between me and it's, it gets, gets our bodies involved. In fact, I, I just put out some verses here where you see this in the scriptures. For example, Psalm 27, David says, At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. Underline that. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now, my guess is that most of us here have sang to the Lord, but probably most of us here haven't done shouts of joy. And yet David says this is how he worships. This is one way he worships. Uh, the next verse, Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will what? Lift up my hands. We often see this in the Bible as one way we express ourselves to God is lifting up the hands. It's a, it's a way of saying you're the best. It's a way of offering ourselves up to God. It's a way of surrendering ourselves offerings. That's a frequent thing. In fact, in the New Testament, next verse, 
Paul says this is in prayer. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And so this was the way they'd pray in ancient times, uh, lifting up their hands in prayer to God, lifting up our requests, honoring his name, and so on. Look at the next verse, Psalm 5. I will come into your house in reverence. I will bow down toward your holy temple. And so this is often another posture of, of, of worship is bowing down. And so what we see in the Bible is there's this connection between our bodies and our spirits when it comes to worship. And this only makes sense, doesn't it? Because this is how we are in all of life. This is why we go to a football game. You don't just sit there the whole time and pretend it's a golf match. You stand up. You, you, you clap. You scream. You high-five your, your, your friends, right? Um, and, and it's contagious. This is why, like, if, like the NCAA is on right now. March Madness is on right now. It's, it's one thing to watch a game at home by yourself. It's better watching with friends or watching at a sport bar where you're, choos- where you're cheering with your buddies. But it's, it's like, it's the best is to be there. And you're there, it's because it's contagious, right? And, and so the experience becomes richer as your body becomes involved. You see, why? Because God's designed us. This is why when you go to concerts, at least in the old days, you'd all even bring lighters and you light your lighter. Like, like how lame is that? You're trying to set the place on fire? You're trying to give some more light? Like, what's it about? No, it's about participating. It's about, man, I'm feeling it right now. This is so cool what's going on. I want to participate. I want to express this. I want to do something. What should I do? I don't know. Light a lighter, you know? Like, you you, you just want to do something. And and this is the same way in worship, is that that when we're feeling like, I love you, O Lord, my strength, man, sometimes it's not enough just to stand there and say, I love you, O Lord. I mean, we've got to do something. We've got to kneel down and shout out or lift your hands. There's something going on. Now, catch this. Uh, if there's nothing going on inside of us, we don't want to do this, right? It's just saying, let what's inside out. That, that's the principle. And, and when a church is doing this, it's, it is a contagious thing. Uh, you know, when you're around a group of people who are truly with the Lord and worshiping the Lord, it has an impact, doesn't it? Just like being in a football game gets you more pumped up, same way. When David was going off, there was a reciprocal relationship there. David, one of the reasons he was going off was because the people were all celebrating with all their might. And then guess what? When he celebrated with all their might, guess what they did? They celebrated because there's a synergy that happens in worship just like in any other uh, area. Okay, so as a church then, what do we want to do? We want to be a group of true worshipers, passionate Christ followers, true worshipers, white, who are experiencing God in a firsthand way. And then we're living out lives of obedience so that our words and our lives match, and we can offer that to God when we come together. And then we want to create an environment where you feel free and safe to express whatever is in your heart, to let what's inside out, whether it's big, small, or medium, just to let it out, okay? Now, as we wrap this thing up, I want to ask you three questions, kind of where you stand in your own life. <laughs> Number one, the first question is, are you experiencing God in a firsthand way in your life? We saw David, uh, God's my fortress, he's my rock, he's my deliverer, he's my strength, he's my leader, and so on. Uh, are you experiencing God in your life? If, if you're not, we can never be a true worshiper. Now, you say, if I'm not experiencing, what do I do? You need to go to God. Remember what Jesus said. God is looking for true worshipers. 
God is looking for people who are ready to follow, ready to be transformed, ready to be changed, and experience him. And so if you say, I have nothing in my heart when it comes to worship, I say, go to God then and and say, I want to follow you. Create in me a a new experience of you. Teach me how to walk with you so I have something to offer back. You see, that's where it begins. Number two, is your life matching your lips? We've seen today it's impossible to come in and worship God with our lips if we're not worshiping with our life. And so for some of us here, I think we just need to say, hey, up to this point, you thought you were doing God a favor by coming to church. You, you thought that by coming to church and living like hell during the week, you thought that was getting you brownie points. You thought that he was impressed and it was evening the scales. Well, today you found out it's not. It's giving him roses and saying, I love you, while you're cheating on him. And so for some of us, there's going to be a major realignment of our life of, oh, my gosh, I'm in deep trouble here, and I need to, to change, and I need to surrender, and I need to, to get on track. Number three, are you letting your insides out? And this is the process as God begins to mentor us and teach us about worship. This is the process. Um, I, I remember the very first time that I raise my hands in worship. It's so awkward. If you've ever gone through this process, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're so self-conscious. It's so awkward. It's kind of like this, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It's just awkward. Have you ever been there? It's just awkward. You know, it's like, it's a big day when you go to the two-handed. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, this is an ongoing issue in my life. It's an ongoing issue. You know, I'm down here in front, so I'm fairly visible. And you know, one of the things I struggle with the most in worship is what you all think. And the reason is, is because here's it. Like, I don't want to communicate to anyone else that they need to worship God like I worship. So I'm fairly expressive in worship. I don't want to send a message to anyone else that if you love Jesus, this is how you need to do it. That's my big fear. That's my big fear, that people will look and say, he's trying to tell us how we're supposed to do it. That's my big fear. And so because of that, sometimes I struggle within myself. I'm self-conscious of that uh, because I, I, I don't want to be, like, sending a nonverbal message. You see? Uh, you know, over and over again, you know what God says to me? Mike, just be yourself. J- just forget it. Just forget about the people. Just be with me. You're just with me. Just be yourself. Are you with me on this? And this is the message we all need to embrace. Just be yourself. If, if God is, if you're there and silent and standing before the Lord and that's what's in you to do, then do that. If God is, is putting your hand and you feel like, man, it's hard to keep my hands, well, then raise your hands. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to shout, shout. We want to create an environment where it's safe to be who you are. So I'm challenging you. Are you being true to who God's made you to be? Are you letting yourself out? All right. Let's, uh, let's dim the lights. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let me take you to our future. As we wrap this up, I want to talk about give a vision of the future as we embrace this value as a church, what the future is going to look like. I, I think the first thing that's going to happen as we move into that future day, 
is that every week when you come to church here, there's going to be a great sense of anticipation. Uh, just like with the 25th hour, as I described earlier, there's going to be a sense of just walking into this place. You're going to feel it in the room. There's going to be a sense of anticipation and expectation. There's going to be a hunger for God. There's going to be an expectation that God's going to show up today, and, and I, I want to hear from him, and I want to meet him, and I want to be here, and I don't want to miss it. And so there's going to be a tremendous sense of expectation and a hunger to meet with God. And as we come in, what you're going to notice is that the places we're going to need to fill up early because there's such a hunger to be here and meet with him and seats are at a premium and, and the place is always packed and so you got to get her early to get a good seat. And so there's a sense of it's, it's filling up early. And as the music begins and the worship begins, there, there's going to be a quick engagement. Uh, uh, we're going to stand together and, and we're just going to enter into worship and we're going to sense God coming. And the presence of God is going to be so thick, you can almost like, like cut it like a knife. And even non-believers are going to sense it. People who don't know Jesus yet, they're going to come in and they're not going to have a name for it. They're not going to be able to describe it, but they're going to sense it and it's going to create a hunger for the supernatural. They're going to be want to know this God. There's something going on here that I've never before experienced in my life. And as we move into worship, there's going to be a tremendous freedom as we offer ourselves to God, all of ourselves to God, through our lips, but because we've been living it with our lives all week, and the words of the songs are going to be the words of our heart, and they're going to express it as we, we tell him he is the highest, and he's the greatest, and in everything, and these words are going to be just coming passionate out of us, just like with David, I love you, O Lord, my strength, because of the, they're our story, they're, they're the words of our heart, the, the words of the songs are speaking for us, and we're entering in, and we're being taken up, and heaven is coming down and heaven and earth are meeting and as we meet he's going to come and as he comes he's going to do what only he can do chains are going to be broken and lives are going to be healed and eyes are going to be open and Christ is going to be revealed and he's going to be moving in our midst healing and speaking and encouraging and challenging and calling and rebuking and doing what only he can do and by the end of the day we will sense that we have been in the presence of God. We have come to know him in spirit and in truth, and we are ready and charged up to go out and live a life of worship and obedience, which is the ultimate act of worship.